folks, today's guest is a fellow Canadian who's spearheading the crypto movement in this beautiful country of ours. This gentleman has 32 years of experience in high yield credit trading at firms like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, ever heard of him. He dove into Bitcoin about five years ago and has never looked back. Present day, he's the executive director at Validus Power Corp, a global leader in advanced power solutions focusing on sustainable energy innovation. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Crypto News Podcast, Greg Foss. Greg, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Matt. Thank you for having me. Very excited to have you. Little background info for our listeners at home. It is July 1st, and this is the day where we celebrate our birthday in lovely Canada. Happy Canada, Greg. Yeah. What are, what is, what's on tap for this afternoon and today? You know, I uh, got out early and I played some golf with my son this morning, and uh, then I just went for a pretty nice paddle. So uh, paddle boarding on uh, Lake Ontario. So uh, two good activities, and now uh, a podcast at uh, two uh, two p.m. So good day so far. How about you? Wow, not bad. Yeah, just working all day at a pod this morning. Okay. Have another one this afternoon. And uh, then going to maybe hang out with some friends tonight and call it a night. But I got to ask, what do you shoot today? Oh, Lord, you don't want to know. Um, let's put it this way. Uh, I, I was playing uh, yesterday and I had a good game. And today uh, it was the polar opposite. So uh, that's what golf is, right? Yeah, you, you, you never master the game. It's just you're humbled by it every time. So today was, uh, uh, let's put it this way. I'm happy that my son absolutely trashed me on the course. So uh, thrashed me, let's put it that way. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. A day on the course is always better than a day in the office, the famous <laughs> saying. You have an incredible background and not a lot of people have a 30-year experience trading credit markets. You worked at some big dog firms like JP Morgan's and Goldman Sachs, and you got into crypto five years ago, more specifically Bitcoin, and have done a whole lot since then. I've listened to other pods that you've been on. I've seen your blogs. I've seen Greg Foss all over the internet. But I would love if you could start by telling our listeners a bit about your past and how you got into the space. Sure. Well, so, you know what? I, I don't want to start off by correcting you, but I have to. I didn't work uh, at JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs. Those were my counterparties. I was at uh, predominantly at hedge funds. So I would, as a hedge gotcha. fund, I was a client of those large firms. Although I did work on the sell side, so a hedge fund's called the buy side of the street. Uh, the sell side of the street that I did work on was for TD Securities, uh, you know, the securities arm of Toronto Dominion Bank. And I did work in Canada and New York. Uh, most of credit is traded out of uh, New York City, even if you're, you know, if you're a local Canadian or whatever. So my history, uh, I am an engineer. That's important. Uh, because I love mathematics, uh, and I, I shouldn't say I love it, but I always look to math as the uh, uh, to, to define a problem and to solve a problem. Um, so I was an engineer in undergrad. I uh, left Canada for a couple of years to go and do a, a degree in the U.S., but I did come back to Canada. I worked at uh, Royal Bank of Canada uh, as my first job in 1988, and since then I've been trading. Well, until 2016, I was trading credit, as I mentioned, uh, on both the sell side and the buy side. Uh, certainly lived through some interesting times. So uh, when I joined the bank, Royal Bank of Canada in 1988, we were dealing with the Latin American debt crisis. Uh, and then in 1998, long-term capital management. In 2008, the great financial crisis. And then while I wasn't trading for either a firm 
or uh, a bank uh, in 2020, uh, I was still very involved in the markets as you always are. So I've lived through a number of credit crises. crises. Um, each is different. But the consistent thing about all of them, Matt, is that leverage unwinds are very pay- painful. Um, that means when leverage gets taken out of the system, very painful. And then most importantly, leverage tends to get uh, pushed down to the backstop. That means that the banks tend to get bailed out by the governments. And every time that happens, the financial or the leverage that was in the financial system gets transferred to the balance sheets of the, uh, the treasuries and the central banks. And this is not healthy because ultimately that debt balloon continues to expand. And mathematically, it is impossible to keep supporting that debt balloon without your currency being absolutely destroyed. It's pure mathematics. Uh, As I said, I'm an engineer at heart and I don't get too flustered by the fact that math doesn't lie. Okay. Uh, There is 100% certainty that fiat currencies will continue to debase at an accelerating pace purely because of the debt balloon that we've accumulated. You've you've beat you've been on that drum for quite a while now, and uh, I completely agree with you. Many people agree with you. Fiat will be the demise of us, and uh, that's why there are great alternatives like Bitcoin or land. But again, we're here to talk about Bitcoin. Before we jump fully into that, the inflation aspect—it's going like crazy. And I've done my research. Everyone always says that one, it's a slow and steady stream. You're not going to just walk into a grocery store one day and see the price of milk double, but they're going to keep adding five cents here, five cents here, five cents here until it finally hits that price. And those are just some of the little things we see. Besides Bitcoin, what are some of the best hedges for inflation at the moment? So, you know, you start with what's the worst and you can work your, 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 your way up, okay? So absolutely the worst is to hold any of your store value in cash or fiat, okay? Uh, So what's better than that? Well, equities are better than that. Equities have a growth aspect that uh, incorporates an inflation hedge. Um, Land, gold, hard assets uh, uh, that that have maintained and and have a store value aspect to them. you know, I certainly like Bitcoin. We, we will get into that. But, uh, you know, it's you have to understand that a lot of people think, for example, that you're making money on your house. But you're not really. It's only that the measurement or the unit of account of your house is actually going down. Your house isn't really increasing that much in value. And to put some of these things in perspective, if you measured the return of the S&P 500 over the last 25 years in gold, i.e. you didn't measure it in, excuse me, in uh, in fiat currency terms or U.S. dollar terms, you measured it in gold. Basically, the uh, return of the S&P 500 is either side is zero. Okay, so which means that, you know, yes, equities do accumulate, uh, accrete value relative to a debasing fiat, but relative to another hard asset like gold, they're flat. And that's not surprising. That does not, by the way, include dividends that are paid out. And that's exactly what should be your, um, your your sort of hurdle, okay? Uh, this is uh, a, a fact of or a reality of the matter. When you are in an inflating debt balloon, the fiat currency needs to be printed in order for you just even to satisfy the interest expense obligation on that debt. 
And when the fiat needs to be printed for that, the fiat becomes the error term, if you will. It debases. And uh, over the last hundred years, you know, you've seen, uh, you, you brought up your price of milk, you know, you, you, you zoom out and you, you extend that for a long enough time. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember, literally I am, because I'm 58. I'm old enough to remember when you could buy a, a, a candy bar for 10 cents. Okay. I don't even know what a candy bar at costs right now, but I, I'm certain it's a lot more than 10 cents. Okay. Um, and, and the point is, you know, it's still like a, a quart of milk was the same sort of thing. And, and what is it? Well, it's just the fact that, uh, that, that your currency or your unit of account is being debased. Uh, and you can either call it inflation or the, the way I like to look at it is your, uh, mathematically is that there's every time you create more dollars, the value of those existing dollars depreciates. I know that this is a tough question and I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Let's say I was 21 years old, fresh out of uni, probably don't have a job like most uni graduates after you put you through four years of the curriculum and then you're like, well, well, here I am. Uh-huh. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm a little bit in debt. I finally start, you know, two years later, I finally start making some cake and I'm thinking about, okay, where do I put my money? What's your two cents on that? Where do I put it? Okay. Um, so great question. Uh, first of all, I've traded bonds for 30 years. I would not touch a bond with a barge pool right now. None, <laughs> zero. You do not own bonds. Anybody who owns bonds right now are absolute, you know, they don't know math, okay? And it's that simple. Now, the people that still manage bond portfolios, uh, they can't run around and tell people the same thing I'm saying because, uh, you know, that they earn fees <clears throat> from managing those portfolios. So if they want to go out of business, I guess they tell all their clients, well, you might as well fire me because there's no value in the bond portfolio that I'm managing for you. But, the, but you know, let's, let's just look at high yield. That's a, a, a credit or a, an asset class that I traded for 30 years. Firstly, when I started in 1988 trading credit, the base level of interest rates, the 10-year U.S. Treasury was at 14%, one four. And then wow. you add a spread on top of that for high yield risk, call it four or 500 basis points. You were close to earning 20% in high yield. And now that same asset class is yielding 4%. Now, what does 4% compensate you for? That's 4% in nominal terms. There's a credit spread in there. But that spread compensates you for expected and, and and this is very key, expected and unexpected default losses because you expect to lose money on defaults, but it's the unexpected default losses that really crush you. And you have to be compensated for that unexpected component. Well, the reality is anyone who's who owns high yield bonds right now at 4% isn't even making a positive return in real terms before accounting for unexpected and expected default losses. It's absolutely insane. It's such a, is it not the biggest market in the world though? The bond market? Like, the bond it- market is, that's correct. It, it, you know, relative to other, uh, other, other uh, uh, investable asset classes. So I would include, you know, real estate as being almost the same size, but bonds relative equities are, are much larger than the equity markets. High yield itself is about $2 trillion in value. So it's not huge, but t- 
total global debt is about $400 trillion. But that includes all governments, all munis, <laughs> all states, everything. $400 trillion. That is the... It's a lot of zeros. Well, it's $400 trillion of foolish money. All right? Anyone who owns bonds right now is a fool. That's my opinion, but I'll walk you through the math of it. And you're a fool. I love that. You heard it there. So coming out of school, yeah, I guess to answer your question, I would start by not owning bonds. Would I own some equities? Yes. Would I invest in a company that, let's say you were a founding shareholder or a, uh, you know, a startup? Of course, you, you know, there's upside there. Uh, you know, we're going to get to Bitcoin, but uh, I'll argue right now that you need to own some Bitcoin. If you own zero Bitcoin, you are taking immeasurable risk, in my opinion. Crazy. So it's actually less risky to own some Bitcoin than it is to own zero. Um, so, so yes, I like, uh, I, I like equities for younger kids. I like, you know, if you're saving up to own a, uh, to, to own a house, that's not a bad thing, but make sure you borrow a lot of money when you own your house. Okay. I advocate that you use leverage to buy your house and the banks do offer leverage. Like, you know, some of them, you know, 20% down is, uh, is standard, but you shouldn't fear that leverage. That leverage will work for you because after all you're working or you owe a fiat contract and that contract is debasing in value. In other words, you borrow $100 today and in 10 years, you're going to pay that $100 back. But the $100 in 10 years is going to have a far lower purchasing power than the $100 you, you borrowed at present. Well said. So yes, I advocate that kids borrow money. Do I advocate you pay off your student loans as fast as you can? Absolutely not. Leave those student loans outstanding as long as you can. Let that money work for you. Meaning you take any incremental savings that you have, you don't pay down debt, you put them into assets that will accrete in value relative to other opportunities. Wow, that's, uh, that is some, some knowledge that I haven't heard before. Love that, my head's spinning right now. Um, mm -hmm. If I were to start a campaign, Greg Foss, for Minister of Finance of Canada mm -hmm. or Prime Minister of Canada, oh, what, would your, mm -hmm. what would your monetary policy look like? And I, I have a feeling that this this may be the segue into the big B word. Sure. Like, you know, first of all, I wouldn't accept the position. Thank you if you were promoting it, but uh, I wouldn't <laughs> accept it because it's actually a position that doesn't have any mathematical solution in fiat terms. Okay. So if we can open the door for, uh, hey, Foss, are you allowed to, are you going to be able to promote other alternatives rather than the pure fiat uh, standard that we're, uh, that we're, we're living in? And if you told me yes, then I'd be okay. Then I will think about what I would propose. But if you constrain me to the existing model, which is just printing money, uh, and, and I need to be clear about one thing, Matt, and this is very important. When you print money, the people you hurt the most are your less fortunate to begin with. Yep. The people that make all the money when you print it are the people that are already the privileged elite. Okay. Because what goes up in value relative to that money? Things like stocks, things like homes and other hard assets that are basically what a portfolio for the elite hold. Whereas the poor, you know, you're less fortunate. They don't hold these investment portfolios. Basically, they live day to day. Some of them have cash savings, but at most, 
you know, they keep those savings in cash and that cash is being debased. So when you keep printing money with all this tomfoolery about, well, we're helping the less fortunate. I understand in the short term, you may be, but in the long term, you are actually penalizing the less fortunate by continuing to print cash. Very simply, again, why? Because it's the elite that own all the stocks. It's the elite that own all the real estate. And those are the assets that accrete in value. Interesting and good to know. So would I take the job if you told me we could open it up for uh, uh, holding, for example, Bitcoin on, our, uh, in the central, on the central bank balance sheet? Yes, I would. Do you know that we don't own any gold right now? Canada does not own any gold. We sold it in 2017, right? Yeah, something like that. But whatever we did, we don't own any. Okay, that's dumb. Okay. So what's our currency back to? Maple syrup? Uh, Honestly, if you think about it, our currency is an obligation. So for every dollar you hold in your hand and say, hey, I I own this proud thing called a loony. Okay, good. You hold a piece of debt. Good on you. (laughs) Like, good on you. You really are really proud to own this piece of debt. Okay. I could call it worse things, but let's call it a piece of debt. Okay. That's what it is. A piece of debt. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Um, we'll, we'll beat on the Canada drum for a bit longer. I know you and a group of, um, of men and women helped launch some of the first Bitcoin ETFs in the whole world. Um, there's more than a couple in Canada now, and there are also a multitude of publicly traded companies in Canada who own Bitcoin on their balance sheet, right. a couple who own Ethereum as well, and other cryptocurrencies. I am beyond bullish on all these companies. Um, full disclosure, I'm an investor in most of them. I think it is a brilliant way of having a tax-free investment vehicle into Bitcoin. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on these? And do you think this is a good thing for the long run of the Canadian equities market? Great, great question. So yes, uh, thanks for the question. So let, let's be clear about what I did. Uh, nothing more than believing in a concept and I invested money as a founding shareholder uh, in a company called 3IQ, which was the first uh, company to successfully uh, lobby the Ontario Securities Commission to launch a closed-end Bitcoin fund on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Now, this was an, an easy process. It was arduous. Uh, the gentleman that was that that we all as Canadians have to thank for this is a uh, is the former CIO of uh, of Three IQ. His name is Sean Cumby, and Sean and I had spent a ton of time trading together at various places, including Toronto Dominion Securities. I mentioned TD Securities. He also he and I also worked together at uh, as a, at a at a hedge fund. Uh, called GMP Investment Management, which uh, the one of the head guys there was a very flashy Canadian called Mike Weckerly. If you don't uh, know who Weck is, uh, look him up. He uh, he was on Dragon's Den. He's a he's a great guy, absolutely great guy. Uh, yeah, we traded through the great financial crisis together. So to you know, there were times we looked in each other's eyes and said, "Well, I wonder if today's the day the world is actually ending." You know, because it felt like that. <laughs> And yeah. so, you know, uh, so Sean was the guy that um, uh, literally took took the Ontario Securities Commission to court to uh, to fight for the right to uh, to launch a closed end Bitcoin fund and three IQ one. And that closed end fund was the genesis of uh, a much more efficient vehicle called an exchange traded fund ETF. So, yeah, then uh, other ETFs came on board in Canada. Uh, amongst them is the Purpose uh, ETF, 
then there was some Ethereum uh, similarly launched project uh, products. And all this is good. I guess you asked me the question, well, how do I feel about this? Well, I was a founding shareholder in 3IQ because I believe this would be so valuable for Canadians, not only to be able to uh, invest in it in a tax efficient manner, i.e. putting it in your either RSP or TFSA, but mostly importantly, um, you know, I, I own Bitcoin on, on a wallet, uh, on your phone, and I'm 58 years old. And, and you, you got to understand that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't natural for me to do this. It's, mu- it's far more natural for me to buy a stock yes. on the Toronto Stock Exchange and, and then see my portfolio all in one spot. I like to be able to see the portfolio weightings there, um, even if I, you know, and I do, I own some... Uh, some Bitcoin and cold storage and in my head, I guess I can say, okay, in that cold storage, you have 7%, uh, bring it back to all your other assets sort of thing. But the reality is it's much easier when it's all in one spot. You don't have to worry about custody, uh, not your, not your, uh, uh, keys, not your coins is a, is a, basically a saying amongst, uh, some of the younger Bitcoiners. And look, I, I understand that, but Look, I'm 58 years old. I graduated from uh, engineering without ever having used a personal computer uh, because they didn't exist, for God's sakes. Not because I didn't want them to exist. They just didn't exist. So it's not natural for me to pick up an iPhone and like my whole life is on this iPhone. Now, I understand it could be, but it's not. And then I also have to point out, as smart as these young kids are, they don't have the money. It's, it's people my age that have the money. So we wanted to yes. create a product that was comfortable for people that, uh, you know, aren't always comfortable holding everything on their iPhone. And then secondly, also control most of the money. As smart as the younger generation is, they still don't have all the money. They will someday, but they don't have it right now. And you have to cater to this, uh, to this other demographic, uh, the boomers a little bit. So yeah, it was, uh, it was valuable in that respect. And look at the growth of some of these assets. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the purpose ETFs, uh, these, these, I think there's last time I looked there over $4 billion invested in these, uh, in these digital asset. Crazy. And it's not crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy to the extent of the growth, but even on a percentage of total assets though, that's still a rounding error. Like, you know, Canadians, you know, that it's good that Canada did this, but if we look at it in the, in the percentage of total global assets or whatever, it's still so minuscule. Um, and this is the exciting part because, uh, you know, we are early. Everyone's like, oh my God, well, Bitcoin's gone from, you know, <clears throat> okay, I, I got involved when it was under $1,000. And people are like, wow, why should I get involved at whatever the price is today? And it, it, it's half of its former price. I'll, I'll tell them this. Bitcoin's actually less risky right now. It's actually a better investment right now than it was when I first got involved in it at around 800 bucks US. And I mean that, I'll look people right in the eyes. It's actually a better investment now. Um, And then secondly, it's still a rounding error in terms of where I think it can go in price. So don't overthink this, okay? Yes, it was cheap. Yes, it still is cheap. And don't overthink whether it's 30, 40 or 50,000 US dollars a coin, just get some. Because in the future, in 20 years, when I'm talking and we revisit this on your radio show or whatever, when you're a big dude or you're a bigger dude, you're a big dude now, when you're the big, biggest dude, you say, Foss, you remember I had you on 20 years ago? And I'll say, yeah, you remember when Bitcoin was like the equivalent of 20 cents and now it's like 
a thousand and fifty dollars. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just uh, you need to understand where this thing can go and why it is going to go there. In my opinion, you just have to dollar cost average into this asset class because it is in my opinion, going to be a very important piece of the future of everybody's portfolios. Can you give a very quick spiel, and I'm sure you get this all the time, and I hope this is not a redundant question, but can you give a quick spiel as if I'm a boomer and I'm like, Foss, look, why should I get into Bitcoin? Give me the elevator pitch. Uh, okay, so it's it's as simple as this. Uh, it is the best asymmetric trade I have seen in 32 years of managing risk. What do I mean by asymmetric risk? Well, I started by saying, let's assume Bitcoin can go to zero, goes to zero with X percent probability. Well, even that is almost, it's not even, the four years ago when I got involved in Bitcoin, certainly there was a chance it would go back to zero or go to zero. But more and more with each day, it's called the Lindy effect, with each day that the system survives, the chances of it going to zero are diminished. That being said, uh, let's assume zero is your downside because no, you know, you know, it's not going to go below zero. You're not going to owe people money because you own Bitcoin. But <laughs> I think the upside or the tail, the tail to the the right hand tail, and this is what is so exciting. I literally think Bitcoin can be worth over two million dollars of Bitcoin US, and I can lay that. I can easily prove that math to you, and uh, you'll tell me, well, God Lord. Uh, that's asinine. And I'll say it may be unlikely. It may have a low probability of going to over 2 million bucks of Bitcoin, but how low is that probability? They'll say, I'll say, is it crazy for me to ask you for 5% chance that it goes there? And they'll say, no, that's not crazy. And then I'll say, well, then you should be buying it right now because based on an expected value outcome of those two binary meaning it wasn't a continuous distribution, one is zero and one is two million, then you should be buying it with your eyes closed right now, even with a probability as low as 5% that it reaches that upper bound. And I think it's far higher than 5% that it will reach that upper bound. Give me some reasons why. Obviously, of course, there's the scarcity aspect, only 21 mil of them. Yeah, it's, it's bigger than that for me. So I love the fact that there's only 21 million. Um, so I'm an engineer. Um, and uh, so everything, you know, you've heard that. And I come back to everything uh, evolves around principles, your first principles you learn as, uh, as an engineer. One of them is the first law of thermodynamics, which is the conservation of energy. Okay. I believe Bitcoin is best described as digital energy. It makes sense. Okay. You need electricity to mine Bitcoin. Bitcoin is created uh, and it can be thought of as a form of digital energy. It's the most beautiful store of value mankind has ever created. And that digital energy, okay, is important to understand that if you're Russia or another country that has valuable natural resources that you're selling for US dollars, you're actually selling valuable natural resources for a debasing currency. That's a dumb trade. I believe you should ask for digital energy as payment, i.e. I think that oil and natural gas should get priced in Bitcoin. I think it's a natural evolution. I don't think the Russians want to hold U.S. treasuries and U.S. dollars for their valuable natural resources. Okay, if that happens, then and the U.S. 
the large oil exporting countries of the world start demanding or asking for their products to be priced in Bitcoin, Bitcoin will become the de facto reserve asset of the world. And if that happens, the probability of Bitcoin attaining $2 million or higher in price is vastly higher than a 5% probability. I love that. Trading energy for digital energy. That is... Well, doesn't it make sense? No, that's, that's a slogan. I mean, think about it. That's what Bitcoin is. It's like a battery, okay? It's digital energy. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen as an engineer, okay? Firstly, you might think it's a Ponzi scheme because you're intellectually lazy and you have no idea. You just read it in a newspaper that wants you to believe it's a Ponzi. Let's be clear to your listeners. The Ponzi is fiat, Fiat is the Ponzi. I'm not the only one calling this out. Apparently, the third richest man in Mexico used that exact line that Fiat is the Ponzi. Why is Fiat the Ponzi? Very simply because there is no cap on it. You own this thing and you're supposed to believe and trust in a piece of paper that there's no, there's unlimited supply. And secondly, and actually the thing that's ethically challenging for me, it penalizes people they hold their savings in that vehicle. Primarily, those are people, as we mentioned before, that are less fortunate. And, and I'm, I'm fortunate, okay, guys? I have worked hard in my life, but I've built wealth because I've worked hard. And, you know, you could say I'm a silver spooner. I don't believe I am. But at the end of the day, I had a bit of a head start over some of these other uh, 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 less fortunate people because, you know, I could afford to go to university. Some people, some of these people can't afford to go to university even. I'm not saying university is your greatest investment, but when I was 30, so that was 30 years ago, it was a better investment than it is today. Okay. And so I got a degree and, uh, and I worked hard and for 30 years, I, 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 uh, built wealth. The, uh, you need to build wealth and store your wealth in something that is not going to be stolen from you by the continuous printing of money by these people that get into government or get into office for four years and there's absolutely zero incentive for them to try and stop printing money because it would almost certainly guarantee that they won't be in office for another four years. It's that simple. Wow. Very well said there. want to take a quick break and give a shout out to our sponsor, Coin Poker. You know, I love these guys. I've talked about them many times on the show. They are the world's premier crypto poker platform and I cannot wait for Greg to download the app so I can take him to town on a couple games at Texas Hold'em, maybe five card stud, whatever Greg plays. CHP is the in-game currency. It's almost like a stable coin, one of the best altcoins out there. They also feature instant and secure transactions using Tether, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and CHP tokens. Absolute best part, Greg, in case you want to fly under the radar, is no KYC. Literally, you download the app or you go online and you are dancing in less than five minutes. There are also huge promotions as they give away thousands in fiat every single week. Head on over to coinpoker.com and go check them out. Again, mobile app as well. Whenever I'm on the go, I can whip it out, play Greg in a couple of hands of Texas or bet on sports. Got a segue into that, Greg. I know you're a bit of a poker guy. Are you score? Are you a sports gambler at all? 
Uh, only amongst friends. I can honestly tell you, I have never placed a professional wager on uh, on, a, on the outcome of a sporting event. When I say that, I mean at, in Vegas or any other odds makers. Uh, you know, I, I do bet on horses and dog races, uh, if you call that uh, a sporting. Uh, you know, but uh, when we think about uh, professional uh, uh, team sports, no, I, I don't. And quite honestly, I don't play a lot of poker. I appreciate the. Um, the uh, math involved in uh, the strategy, certainly uh, Texas Hold'em and, and, and this and, and these people that do it and do it well. Well, don't you think their heads are sort of like mini mainframe computers that are going through the odds of, uh, and that's 100%. all you can ever do. Um, there are very few things in life that are a hundred that have a hundred percent certainty. So you just need to play, do the math. Um, why don't I do that math? Because honest to God, I did it for, 10 hours a day for 30 years, you know, Monday to Friday. <laughs> I don't need to do it when I'm resting either. Okay. Like I'm just, my head is absolutely spinning with the amount of risk that I'm trying to manage on a day-to-day basis rather than bringing in a poker hand and me trying to, uh, uh additionally, uh, confuse my small brain, you know? So, so I don't play it a lot. I, I, I definitely, uh, appreciate the, uh, the skill, um, anybody who plays it well is somebody who can do a very quick ana- analysis of what the odds are of your hand. Uh, the next flop, all that stuff is nothing but odds. Um, and if you if you do it well, I guarantee you, you've read books and you, you've calculated odds. And, and, and so my hat goes off to you. Completely agree. I, I would I would bet the house that there is a strong correlation with good poker players and success in business and or success in life. But that is a story for another day. Well, how about this? There's certainly a high correlation between people who are good at risk management. All right. Yes. Because um, that's all it is. A poker hand is risk management, right? And 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 then you can try and do all sorts of things like bluff, and that's you know that's part of risk return, right? Like if people understand the risk. But the potential return, then that's nothing different than owning a, a, some equities. It's not, nothing different than owning some crypto assets. Uh, certainly, it's different from owning bonds. Again, because if you own bonds, you're 100% certain that you're an idiot. Okay, that I'm 100% certain <laughs> of. Okay. And, uh, and well, you know, I call, I'll call, people can DM me on that and say, Fossey, such a clown. And I'll go, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never seen a worse risk return profile than on any fixed income assets right now ever. And anyone who tries to tell you differently is conflicted because they manage a bunch of fixed income assets and they don't want their fees to be uh, vaporized because people just say, well, I don't want to own any of these things. We, we should get you, and I don't know if you've been following the, the sort of the influencer boxing rings, but you know, you had like Logan Paul fight uh, Floyd Mayweather. We should get you and like the world's most popular and richest bond trader toe to toe on MGM Grand. He wouldn't, they would, here's the funny thing if they, if they were honest, they wouldn't even fight. They'd be like, yeah, look, it's, I agree. Look, it, it's only math because that's the funny thing. That's a bond is a fixed income contract. You see, with equities is not a contract. A bond is actually a contract. There's nothing there except mathematics. Equities, you can bring in all this subjective stuff. Well, yes, my tree is going to grow to the moon. So therefore, my tree, you know, but equity, the bonds is like, no, this is the coupon. This is the duration. This is the convexity. This is how it's priced. Full stop. So, you know, that's why I sort of love bonds. Not just did I love bonds because of the math, but also bonds 
are way more sophisticated than equities, okay? So much equity is based on hopium and all this garbage bullshit about like <laughs> fucking this is going to be the next greatest thing. Hopium. And then one guy goes on Reddit and says, I believe it will also be the best thing. And then he tells two friends and so on and so on and so on. Bonds aren't like that. Bonds are much more mathematical, much less subjective, much more played by the big boys. You know, equities are played, a lot of equities, or at least at the margin, are played by the fools. Okay? Bonds, while they are invested by the fools, the people that understand them, wow, they're way, way, way more institutionally inclined than the equity markets. Why is that? Well, look, bonds have prior claim on any asset to the uh, to the equity. Secondly, bonds and the bond markets are far bigger. And thirdly, capitalism is built on credit. And if you don't understand what's happening in the credit markets, you are doomed to be uh, flung around like a dog's tail in the equity markets, okay? Because bonds and credit are the dog and equities are just the tail. And that tail gets flung around like a rag doll when the dog is not feeling good, when the dog is gurgling. And that happens on a regular basis. And so many equity people have no clue when it's happening. And the bonds are like, the bond market's like, dude, you're in for a world of hurt. And, you know, that's what you learn. Speaking of dogs, I'd love to get into Elon Musk. We're not going to talk about Dogecoin. We're not going to talk about Shibu because that is an absolute clown show. Okay. However, I have heard you voice some very strong opinions, which I and many others completely agree with regarding Elon, Tesla, Bitcoin, and why he pulled out the first time. You believe it's because one of his larger shareholders at BlackRock or another massive P firm or hedge fund went up to Elon and was like, Muskie, listen up. If you don't pull out, we're going to drop all the stock and that would really hurt Tesla stock, which is already heavily shorted. I completely agree with that. On that topic, what do you think needs to happen to the Bitcoin mining at the moment? How can we clean up this narrative of, oh, Bitcoin mining is terrible for humanity, it's terrible for the environment, what can we do that to clean that up? And what kind of future does Validus Power Corp have in that arena? Oh, wow, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, let's be honest. Okay, so first of all, you don't have to clean anything up. All right, all of this is FUD. Bitcoin mining uses one-tenth of 1% 1 of all energy consumed globally. And here we have the FUDsters out there focusing on the one-tenth of 1%. Versus the other 99.9% where there is true waste that takes place. So, so let's start with the facts. Bitcoin mining does not waste energy. It consumes energy waste. Okay. Every electrical grid in the world is built for redundancy. It never operates or very seldom operates at 100% of capacity. But it's built for those hot August days when everybody's air conditioner is on. Okay. But normally the grid is being used at about 60 to 70% of capacity. Yet the turbines are still turning. They're still generating the electricity. Why? Because you don't stop a turbine in a hydropower dam from turning. And you don't stop or you don't power up and power down a nuclear reactor according to the demand. So these things are still generating electricity. Most of the time, if you're mining on the grid, Bitcoin, you're consuming otherwise energy that otherwise would not have been paid for. 
So energy that is or Bitcoin that's mined on the grid is consuming energy waste in that example. I just uh, threw out. Now, there are times when that grid gets uh, taxed to capacity, meaning burden like the air conditioners all go on or in Texas, there's an ice storm or whatever. Well, then the Bitcoin miners switch gets flipped off. Not a big deal. The truth, though, is there's so many other applications like Validus Power is involved in where there are behind the fence or off grid applications for mining Bitcoin using otherwise wasted energy sources. So you've seen pictures of when you drill for oil, you see that thing called a steeplejack, which is the pump that's going up and down. And then in the distance, you'll see this flame that's in, you know, it's just being burned into the atmosphere. And what that flame is, is waste natural gas, which is a byproduct of drilling for oil. And they don't collect that dirty gas because they don't either have the pipelines or it's not economical, but they still flare it. That goes into the atmosphere. If they don't flare it, methane goes all the way to the ozone and punches holes in the ozone. So what can Validus Power do on that particular uh, uh, scenario? Well, we can wheel in a mobile generator, which is basically a jet engine on the back of a trailer truck. We can use that natural gas that's being flared into the atmosphere and actually run it through a turbine, generate electricity with that turbine, mine Bitcoin and create a revenue source for that oil field that otherwise didn't exist. And not only that, we're helping to clean the atmosphere because we're not letting this flare gas go, or excuse me, the methane go to the outer limits and burn a hole in, in, the, uh, in the protective layer in the ozone. We, and if, if they're burning it, it's creating carbon dioxide and acid rain. Well, if we run it through our generators, we're capturing that and we're helping clean the environment. You don't hear about that narrative that much, but the most, the biggest thing I have a problem with is people like Elon Musk who understand the fact that his electric vehicles sometimes are powered with power plants that are polluting the crap out of the, uni the universe as well. Do you think every single Tesla vehicle is powered with green electrons? Stop, stop. Electrons aren't that smart. They don't know where to go. They don't go just to a Tesla if they're, if they're oh, used in green energy, such as a hydro dam. Now, let's start by saying, is a hydro dam really green energy? First of all, it uses tons and tons of concrete to build a hydro dam, which is one of the most polluting processes there is, creating concrete and cement. Secondly, if you're an indigenous whose land has just been flooded because there's this new hydro dam, is that really that green? So we got to be careful about what who defines what green is. And I'll take it one step further. Is wind energy actually green? All the tons of steel that's taken to produce the base of the wind uh, uh, mill, those fiberglass veins, they never decompose when they're put in a, uh, in a landfill. The birds that they're killing, the low frequency humming, not to mention the fact that no wind project actually is economic unless it gets tax breaks. It's all a bunch of garbage, but it's called green. By who? Who defined that? <laughs> Let's start with first principles. So that's the stuff I have problems with. A guy like Elon Musk, who is not a turnip, okay? He acts like a turnip a lot. 
Okay. And he knows. So if he got pressure from some of the big institutional investors because they believe their stupid ESG policies are actually, you know, helping the universe, then that could have been what happened. But for God's sakes, don't under, if you don't understand that an electronic vehicle needs to use mostly dirty energy processes to, to power your batteries, you've, you, you've lost touch with how an electricity grid works. Then I'll take one step further, Matt, and this is probably the most important thing. Did you know that one volcano produces as much carbon dioxide in four days as the entire civilization on the planet Earth produces? One volcano. Did not know that. And we have hundreds, if not thousands of active volcanoes that are venting carbon dioxide into the air. It's impossible that the human race is going to control this. It's governed by the fucking volcanoes, man. It's not governed by our automobiles and shit. (laughs) This is such misunderstood. Now, I'm an environmentalist. I get it. I want the environment to be clean. But start with first principles. Understand that a volcano is the biggest source of carbon dioxide. And it's not all of these small countries and it's not Bitcoin mining. And maybe Bitcoin mining uses more electricity than a country like the Netherlands. And I'm going to say, sorry, it's also more important than a country called the Netherlands. And no disrespect to the Netherlands, but for Christ's sakes, Bitcoin can change the world. And I'm not certain the Netherlands is going to do that again. Maybe they tried in the past, but look, please return to first principles. Please understand what it involves in energy, what produces carbon dioxide, what CH4 is, that's methane. What CH4 plus 202 equals, it equals energy plus carbon dioxide plus H2O. That's your chemistry. That's your grade 11 stuff that you need to understand. And then understand that a volcano, well, you're not going to cap that little bad boy, okay? Those volcanoes are what makes up earth. And they're the things that put carbon dioxide in the air. So Justin Trudeau, you are an idiot, okay? Justin Trudeau is a first-class idiot. He's the bigger idiot than uh, than Elon Musk because if he didn't take that in his chemistry and he didn't take that in his geology and everything about what comes out of a volcano, then I'm sorry, man, you shouldn't be running a country, okay? And that's the problem I have when he's making policy decisions in the efforts of protecting the children when he hasn't even examined the facts. So I I moved it one higher than Elon Musk. I'm sorry, because like Elon is Elon. Oh, hey, I love it. Justin Trudeau is a hypocrite. Actually, both of them are a little hypocritical, but Justin Trudeau is an outright hypocrite. And if he doesn't understand it, then then somebody in his government better. And if they do understand it and they're feeding us this FUD, that's very unfortunate because Canada is blessed with hydrocarbons and natural resources that we should use for the benefit of our future children. We should not be embarrassed about this. That was a world-class spiel right there. I have a couple more questions before we wrap up. And sure. thank you so much. I know we've been running on here. You had a quote not too long ago on Twitter that goes as follows. I'll say the quote and then I'd love if you could riff on it. <laughs> a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know will never sit in it. Bitcoin is just a small oak tree right now. The shade will be for the kids. 
I'd love for you to go off on that quote. So I, uh, thanks. That's, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's a great quote. I guess I don't remember. It's attributed to certainly some, uh, some ancient philosopher, probably Chinese, uh, origin or whatever. The point is very simple though, right? Um, I feel somewhat guilty as a boomer that my generation could go down as the most selfish generation ever to inhabit. Uh, certainly in the last couple of hundred years, uh, we haven't, you know, we've had it pretty good. It was our grandfathers and our fathers who fought the major wars and the major uh, confrontations, conflicts in the world. Uh, we have pulled forward the benefits that it should be accruing to our children for our own use and our own selfless, selfish needs, in my opinion, okay? I'm not t- saying that some of the government programs were unnecessary. I, I am a capitalist with a heart. I understand the need to protect your less fortunate. But at some point, you have to stop. At some point, you have to pay the bill. And we just haven't done that. We continue to pull forward that uh, uh, selfishness, if you will, at the expense of our children. So I'm... I. Am not crazy, you know. I I I've put away some uh, some wealth. I wasn't gonna. I'm gonna say I'm not crazy wealthy. Certainly, I'm uh, by definition I'm absolutely above average, uh, and I'm I'm proud of it, and I'm I'm thankful. I thank you know people that have helped me build wealth. But I want to help the kids of the future, not just my own kids. I want to help kids, and Validus Power is a really really great opportunity to do that. In fact. The CEO of Validus Power is Indigenous, 100% Canadian Indigenous. And we have some opportunities, in my opinion, with his connections to really, really impact the Indigenous community in Canada. Uh, these, these communities are, uh, you know, sometimes isolated with sources of energy, primarily diesel power, uh, that are not optimal. And if we could bring the Validus Power solutions into their communities, uh, we could build uh, greenhouses and heat greenhouses combined with Bitcoin mining that would allow them to combat their di- their high diabetes rates and everything because they don't have enough leafy greens. Look, I mean, I don't want to go too much off on a tangent. I'll just tell you that Bitcoin is absolutely, in my opinion, one of the most incredible innovations in mankind that have so many ter- secondary and tertiary uh, positive uh, impacts. So I want that oak tree to grow to what it can be. And I want to do everything I can uh, for the benefit of the children, of my family, of my race, but not just my race, of any family, of any color. Some of the opportunities for third world nations, we're working with a, uh, a group in El Salvador right now that has embraced Bitcoin. We're, we're working with them to help them promote the uh, the adoption of Bitcoin in El Salvador. This can absolutely change the lives of entire countries. And I'm for that, okay? I'm not for trying to keep the status quo when you get these conflicted professors who have grown up in the fiat system saying that El Salvador is doing a 
you know, they should be under the thumb of the almighty U.S. dollar. Man, oh man, that's some stuff that really, really, really gets me upset. Okay. And these guys either are too stupid to realize what they're saying or more evilly, they actually know what they're saying, but they won't tell the truth. So I guess what it comes down to is if you are a a part of a movement and I'm old, uh, I won't reap the benefits, the pure benefits of Bitcoin. I'm seeing some of them now, but what I really want is when I'm long gone and for my kids, when they're 60 years old, to say, wow, this Bitcoin thing really changed the world. So I'll take, uh, you know, I'll, I, I believe in this with a passion. I'll, I'll, I'll call out the Elon Musks. I'll call out Justin Trudeau, although that's an easy one to call out. But I'll call <laughs> out a professor like Professor Steve Hankey. I'll call out this knucklehead David Duffy, who's a Canadian working at Stanford. These academics have never traded risk one day in their lives. They've never sat in a chair where you have to manage risk on a trading basis. And yet they think they have some sort of God-given talent to dictate on an academic basis where risk should be allocated and, and how it should be traded. These guys have never done it for a day in their lives. We should shut them down and shut them up. I love it. Craig, this has been an absolute treat of an episode. I will definitely be listening to this one again. Mm-hmm. Um, just incredible. So much knowledge dropped and very grateful for you jumping on. Always a pleasure to have another Canadian on. Before we let you go, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you and Validus online and on socials? Sure. Well, I just want to start by saying thank you very much for having me on on a, on a great day. Uh, Canadians are punching above their weight in the Bitcoin community, and I'm really proud to be part of that Bitcoin community. We have some great Canadian Bitcoiners. I want to call out one in particular, uh, Jeff Booth from Vancouver, who wrote probably the best book I've ever read in my life. Okay, It's called The Price uh, uh, of Tomorrow, and uh, it's an absolutely brilliant book. Uh, And then there's some Canadian politicians, believe it or not, that I am in touch with who I think are going to be incredibly important in this in this movement. I don't want to name names, but I'll just say that it's we're starting to permeate the the true government management level. Um, So people can get in touch with me on Twitter if, if you'd like. Uh, my handle is at Foss, Greg Foss, so F-O-S-S-G-R-E-E-G-F-O-S-S. Um, I'm new to Twitter. Uh, I need to be honest about that. It's a, an amazing tool, uh, but I'm sort of new to it. And sometimes I, you know, I don't mean to alienate anybody. I tend only to tweet about Bitcoin, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a great tool. So if, if that doesn't work for you, uh, you can email me, certainly. Um uh, Validus Power has a web page that you can get in touch with most of us. So validuspower.com is a really cool web page that shows exactly what we're capable of doing uh, with our equipment and how we can change the world on that uh, on that front. And then, you know, honestly, look, um, I'm open to I, I've frequently gone out. Uh, and I'm not saying I, I, I want to go drinking and, and partying with anybody that, that has questions about Bitcoin. But the point is, I'm, I'm trying to be open uh, to share my experience. I'm not saying I'm, 
Uh, I have all the answers, but I have seen some stuff in the world that most people haven't experienced. That that happens when you're 58 years old, all right? Like that has some value. So you can reach out to me in, in a number of different ways. Any To your audience, I, I, I want to say this again. I'm proud to be part of a Bitcoin community that's uh, very important in Canada. And, and, and we should be proud of the uh, of the talent we do have in this country. Uh, John Vallis, Francis Pouliot, uh, BTC Sessions out in Calgary. Like these guys are very good guys. So, and, and as well as you, okay, Matt, uh, this is great to, to meet you. And and uh, look, it, it's, a, it's a small but growing and powerful community. And that's, uh, that's the end of my pitch. Amazing folks, uh, highly recommend following Greg on Twitter. He's humble about it but he is either dropping knowledge bombs or shredding someone to bits. It is a great <laughs> healthy combo of both. This was the Crypto News Podcast with Greg Foss from Validus Power Corp. Greg, thanks so much for coming on and we will definitely have you on for round two in the future. I look forward to it. Thanks again, everyone. Folks, Greg Foss coming at you. Hope you love this one. I certainly did. Always great having a fellow Canadian on the show. It is Canada Day. It is July 1st. This will probably air a couple of days after this, but we appreciate you. Love you all. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the day, a wonderful week. Keep enjoying summer and we will see you all shortly. Thanks for listening. Love you. Have a good one. Bye for now.